Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. This is fascinating. We asked people, what has President Biden done for you that you approve of? 56% of Americans, nearly 6 in 10 Americans, that means a decent amount of Democrats said nothing. They disapprove of everything that has happened. Now, yes, the president would say, we passed the rescue plan. We passed the bipartisan infrastructure plan. It is not sinking in out in America. 56% of Americans say nothing. They disapprove of everything that has happened so far. 15% say the president has helped with the economy. 6% say the coronavirus. You talk, see here personal traits, foreign policy, other issues. But that is a stunning number of the failure to communicate the legitimate successes of the Biden administration. And without a doubt, the COVID pandemic is dragging the president down. 47% do say they're optimistic. So as the numbers come down, maybe the president can turn this dynamic. But right now, you just have a burned out, angry country. It's hard for the president to break through, even if things are getting better. The unemployment rate is down. The president did create a record number of jobs. 62% of Americans. Well, Chris, this is the mixed bag when it comes to the economy right now. And Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about what they were anticipating in these numbers during yesterday's briefing. She said, look, we are bracing for a report where inflation is going to be above 7%. So that's what they got. She is stressing that outside forecasters predict that eventually over time it will start to decrease and moderate. To your point, Chris, the window for that to happen politically in order for the administration, for Democrats to feel emboldened heading into the midterms, needs to happen quite soon. So will that happen? That is the question mark. We know that back in July, President Biden said he expected that these inflationary figures would be temporary. And now the fact that we are getting yet another very difficult report suggests that that prediction just was not right. For his part, the president is going to be in Culpeper County, Virginia later today. He's going to appear with Representative Abigail Spanberger, one of those Democrats who is up for re-election. They are going to tout a plan to bring down the price of prescription drug costs and health care costs. And I also anticipate we will hear from this president a renewed push for Congress to pass parts of his Build Back Better plan. They make the case here at the White House, if you lower the costs on things like child care, prescription drugs, health care costs, that these prices will start to come down overall. It will start to really get at the heart of what is driving this inflation. But again, all of this taking place against the backdrop of the 2020 midterms. And so the timeline is... Huge numbers of Americans thought that Barack Obama was born in Kenya, which obviously he was not, or that Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11. This is really dangerous. And in 2022, there's social media to export these lies in a way that was not true through most of American history. So all I'm saying is the remedy for all of this is we've got to roll into action. You know, please don't tell me you need a vacation this year or you're distracted by something else in your life. All these things are absolutely important. But if we lose our democracy this year, we are unlikely to get it back during our lifetimes. I can't think of anything more important than that.
wages are up, unemployment is down, and the Omicron variant is in retreat. And that's not by accident. That's because under President Biden's leadership, a public health infrastructure was put into place, beginning with the American Rescue Plan without a single Republican vote to ensure that we can do everything possible to crush the virus. And that is what has been happening through the trials and tribulations of a once in a century pandemic, through the Delta variant, now through the Omicron variant. When President Biden took office, there were two million Americans fully vaccinated. One year later, more than 200 million Americans fully vaccinated. That doesn't happen by accident. It's because President Biden and Democrats in the House and the Senate have leaned into the science, to the evidence, to standing up a robust public health infrastructure. And now we are seeing the fruits of that work. Sorry, since you're at my home, can I just get your name and your badge number, yeah, please? I have a card here. Okay. It's Erica Ingram. Thank okay. you. And this is just some information about peaceful protests. That's all it is. Okay. So you saw something on my Facebook? No, on the Facebook group. <clears throat> okay. And decided to come to my personal residence to give me information about peaceful protest? Yes. Okay. So are the Peterborough police? No, you're with OPP? Um, are you guys now monitoring people's Facebook pages or Facebook groups to who comments as to what their um, uh, status updates are or what they're doing or okay. so within the group? Like because of the protest happening province-wide, yes, we have been monitoring the protests. Okay? okay. So there's a protest coming up. I'm simply providing you with information about a peaceful protest. And now I'm leaving. Oh, okay. That is all. So the Ontario Provincial Police are watching what people are doing on Facebook in different groups, whether or not they're commenting, participating, liking, and you guys are now doing service calls to give people information about peaceful protest. Yeah, it's just a proactive measure to make sure you understand your rights about peaceful protesting. I absolutely, I have Perfect. a copy of the Canadian Charter of Rights Excellent. and Freedoms, so Absolutely. I'm well within that and, and yeah. very understanding of that. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm, okay. I'm hoping that uh, you guys aren't going to waste our tax dollars continuing to do this to everybody, but uh, now it's nice to know that uh, we're, we're being watched. So. If you have any questions, my cell phone number is on the card. Thank you. Okay. Sedition, insurrection, a threat to democracy. This city is under siege. They are now calling it an occupation. Alarming situation there in Ottawa. The police chief is calling it a nationwide insurrection driven by madness. This is kind of our insurrection by air horn moment. It's, I think it's part of the globalization of Trumpism. Canadians know where I stand. There hasn't been as much violence as some had perhaps projected, but that does not necessarily mean that it has been peaceful. Reports of severe vandalism and criminal behavior. Streets are clogged. The honking is incessant and deafening. This pandemic has sucked for all Canadians. Residents that I have spoken to who say they feel terrorized intimidated residents say they feel like hostages residents in that area say that they are being held hostage that this freedom has essentially this freedom convoy as they call it has essentially imposed a lockdown on them some protesters harassed a soup kitchen these anti-vaxxers actually took food from the mouths of uh, the homeless hum hungry yeah because they were they're, they're they're so put upon there have not been any violent outbursts however horns have been honking for 12 to 21 hours a night the small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, 
holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing. Many of them are holding Confederate flags. I've heard there's QAnon supporters in the crowd. We've seen swastikas. We've seen the Confederate flag. We've seen uh, flags with Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, in a noose. Uh, lots of Donald Trump flags as well. People chanting, let's go, Brandon. It is actually one of the rare times in history you're going to see swastikas and yellow stars uh, at the same protest. A few people shouting and waving swastikas does not define who Canadians are. <laughs> Ottawa is being besieged by a group of anti-do-anything-about-COVID truckers called the Freedom Convoy. A so-called Freedom Convoy. So-called Freedom Convoy of truckers. It's a cult. <laughs> yes, it is. We've heard it called a nationwide insurrection. <laughs> a threat to democracy, uh, an insurrection, sedition. This is a moment. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the 13th of February. Year of our Lord, 2022, and I am so sorry. Whoa! Tony can't get healthy. Tony not getting healthy. Tony Tony got issues. So, uh, I promised a podcast, but it all went to shit because I had a lung infection. <clears throat> and then uh, I went to podcast yesterday, and I got an allergic reaction off one of the antibiotics. So, yeah... I suck. I'm a sickly. I'm a sickly. I need more PT in my life. But wanted to get a show in today. I thought that was really a good intro. You got the polls. And then we're trying to blow off, you know, that inflation's fucking them. And we got Beshlow's coming out. It's about democracy. And Jeffrey lying. And the trucker. The trucker is so telling that as a podcaster, I have no, I have a moral obligation to cover that. But it is what we always see. And it's better than the January 6th comparison, because January 6th comparison, of course, people broke the law. But here you have guys just driving their fucking trucks, and the entire establishment media, Democratic politicians... The federal government can have that. So you saw a nice little slice there because it's going to be a short show today. Let's get into the media jerk off of the week over these fucking truckers. Flyover politics, the media jerk off of the week. Tonight, Canada's massive truck driver protests now spreading to the U.S. border. Video showing lines of semis at the Ambassador Bridge into Detroit. Officials saying demonstrators were slowing border wait times. It comes as Canada's capital city has been crippled by 11 straight days of protests. Hundreds of trucks and thousands of demonstrators clogging the streets of Ottawa. The so-called Freedom Convoy, first protesting a vaccine mandate for truck drivers in order to cross the border, now calling for an end to all COVID restrictions. The noise is constant here. It's engines and horns and speeches and music. These protesters are going to be heard. We've been here since last Saturday. Last Saturday. Yeah. Just staying in the truck? Yep. How long do you think you'll be out here? Officials now declaring a state of emergency, citing national monuments desecrated and some protesters displaying symbols of hate. I have my own officers who live in and around those areas, and they and their children have not been able to sleep. 
They and their children have not been able to go to school. The police chief saying his city is under siege, calling the demonstrations a nationwide insurrection as solidarity protests pop up across Canada and in Alaska. 11-day protests now declared a state of emergency, with much of the city locked down in a blanket of gridlock. The mayor now asking for 2,000 additional police officers. What was initially described as a peaceful protest has now turned into a siege of our downtown area. With reports of protests turning violent, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says there's no plan for now to call in the military to clear the streets. We're going to end these mandates. We're going to end these lockdowns. Sarah Chowan's restaurant is empty. The unprecedented occupation of Ottawa. Uh, not in a good place, I will tell you, Anna. I mean, where I am right now, this has been going on. We're into week two, right? And, and truckers here are, are not just dug in. They are getting support from every element of society here who says that they are sick and tired of the pandemic. It's that pandemic fatigue. And I want to point out, th this isn't a minority, a real minority of Canadians, but they are vocal right now and they are determined and it seems able to sow chaos wherever they are. Just with, you heard Miguel, it just takes a few cars and trucks. As a girl who grew up out west, what I'm seeing in your live shot there, Paula, reminds me of uh, a site I would find going over a mountain pass at, at a rest area, seeing these truckers just hanging out. Uh, not certainly what I'd expect in the heart of a major city. Parts of Canada are, are talking about rolling back their vaccine mandates. Uh, Saskatchewan, for example, is this welcome news to these protesters? Can they take any credit for it? I mean, look, it's more than Saskatchewan. It's Alberta. It's Quebec. This is happening because the Omicron wave is peaking. And these provincial leaders have always said, look, when we can, we will roll them back. Is it satisfying the uh, truckers? Absolutely not. That is Parliament right there. And here it looks more like a tailgate party now going into its second week. If this is the kind of civil disobedience, you know, that is tolerated, they fear for what can happen next. There's a state of emergency in place in Ottawa where the police chief says COVID protests are a, quote, nationwide insurrection driven by madness. Thousands of Canadians, you see the pictures there, protesting vaccine mandates. It started with a so-called freedom convoy led by truckers protesting a new mandate requiring vaccines in order to enter the country. CNN's Paula Newton live for us now in Ottawa with the latest remarkable protest, Paula. Absolutely remarkable. I mean, just think of the language. I know it sounds familiar to you, right? A threat to democracy, an insurrection, sedition. I want to be clear, things have quieted down a bit, but that does not take away from the basic truck in, right? The sit in that's going in right in front of the national parliament. And as you said, this started as the freedom convoy. It rolled right from the west to here in the east, spread on the weekend to several cities and towns. Things have quiet, quieted down substantially. And yet what lingers are very persistent protesters here saying that, look, it's not just about a vaccine mandate and being able to cross the border in your truck, no. It's about all of it, the mask mandate, the restrictions, everything. They want it all gone. And here, as in the United States, right? The United States, it's up to states. Here, it's up to the provinces. The Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, remains in isolation at an undisclosed location. He and his children had COVID. Uh, and he's saying, look, this isn't uh, about me or the federal government. He calls these a fringe minority. Uh, John, I also want to point Sitting senators, sitting at least one sitting governor are supporting these people from the United States. The police chief has a message for them. Don't. The, you are supporting unlawful behavior. Paula Newton, appreciate the live update. We know you'll keep an eye on that one. It's remarkable. This situation.
Irish than the Canadians or in, in Ottawa, the truckers' protests. There does seem to be evidence that these uh, uh, truckers are getting support from conservative forces or right-wing forces in the U.S. Um, are you investigating that at all? Is there any kind of you know involvement of, of U.S. authorities in looking at those money flows going to these truckers, and, and are you concerned about it? Well, uh, I, I would say a couple of things. This doesn't answer your question, but I just want to get this out there, too, on this particular topic, and then I'll come around, I promise. Um, we have uh, been engaged uh, since the outset. Well, some of it hopefully answers your question, I should say, of the protests. Uh, there have been zero impacts to CBP operations, which is a question people have understandably been asking us. Some, some shipments were rerouted by our law enforcement partners to other points of entry due to road closures. Some shippers have had to reroute, uh, but CBP has been in communication uh, throughout to ensure shipments can be cleared and onto the normal route. Uh, in terms of an assessment of any other engagement um, from here, uh, we have we, we don't really have any update on that uh, or any any investment. turning to the pandemic government efforts to control the coronavirus in Canada have run into a wall of protests from people opposed to the vaccine mandates and other restrictions in the capital city of Ottawa thousands of truckers and others have clogged the city streets for more than 10 days Ottawa's mayor has now declared a state of emergency the protests spread to other cities and the protesters are getting major support from the US protesters took to the streets for the second week in a row with a convoy of semi-trucks blocking intersections. They brought downtown Ottawa to a halt, disrupting businesses and flooding police with calls about everything from incessant honking to threats and assault. On Sunday, Ottawa's mayor declared a state of emergency, asking for outside help as local authorities say they are outnumbered and the police chief described being under siege. On Friday, GoFundMe shut down a fundraiser for the so-called Freedom Convoy, which had garnered nearly 8 million U.S. dollars. In a statement, the company said it was done as a result of multiple discussions with local law enforcement and police reports of violence and other unlawful activity. Protests against COVID restrictions escalate. A so-called freedom convoy in Ottawa is causing chaos in the city, blocking the roads. Those protesters are comparing vaccine mandates to fascism. Now this morning, Ottawa's mayor is calling this the city's most serious emergency. The city is under siege. This is a threat to our democracy. It is a nationwide insurrection. This is madness. It began when thousands of long-haul truckers descended upon the city, angry about a federal mandate requiring them to be vaccinated. In a bulletin to law enforcement, the Department of Homeland Security says it received reports a convoy of truckers plans to potentially block roads in major metropolitan cities and severely disrupt transportation. The DHS alert says the convoy could begin Sunday in Los Angeles, the site of the Super Bowl, gathering truckers as they travel across the country, possibly reaching Washington, D.C. on March 1st, the same day as the State of the Union. Less than a week away from the game, new potential threats arise daily. The anti-vax trucker rally in Canada, they've made some threats to come down here. Are you prepared for that? Individuals have a perfect right to exercise their First Amendment rights once they intervene in other people's freedoms and liberties. It becomes a more complicated landscape, but we're working with law enforcement to address any eventualities. Now, in a bulletin obtained by CBS News, the Department of Homeland Security is warning that a convoy of truckers could lead to gridlock here in Los Angeles, and that could impact the Super Bowl. The agency, though, does describe the plans as aspirational and says there are no plans of violence. But 
The mayor of Ottawa has declared a state of emergency as truckers protest Canada's COVID vaccine requirements. Thousands of truckers have virtually shut down the city with Canadian officials calling the situation a, quote, nationwide insurrection. The protests, which have been going on for over a week, more than a week, have not resulted in any serious physical violence so far, but they have evolved into a rallying point for opposition to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who has called the protesters a fringe minority of Canadians. Joining me now from Ottawa is CTV National News parliamentary reporter Annie Bergeron-Oliver. We've heard it called a nationwide insurrection. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, you know, you're talking about the closed streets in the center of town there. It sounds like it's causing quite a bit of havoc, not just in that city, but across the country. This is not just a protest. Ottawa, like any capital city, is used to a protest. But here, you know, right beside me, they've set up a Plinko table, one of those games you would see on The Price is Right. Hmm. They have open fire pits that are burning throughout the downtown. Uh, they have villages, essentially. They build structures on the street to, to keep people warm. They have a full set of, um, I saw some pizza ovens the other day. Even in one spot, organizers had three different saunas and a hot tub set up. And Jeez. so the big question has been, why isn't Ottawa police enforcing this stronger they say they just don't have the resources that this situation is too volatile they have started to get a little bit stronger but most people are saying this has taken way too long and we are now at a point where all of these trucks have lots of fuel and it's getting too dangerous to do much of anything it's incredible to hear that they, they have saunas set up or pizza ovens set up just one one more question very quickly how dare you use your first amendment rights this is a CNN person. You've probably seen it by now. Slash their fucking tires. Take them out. Coming soon, U.S. Truckers Freedom Convoy from California to D.C. So what does our betters do? This country will not abide by being held hostage by a mob of truckers attempt to blockade LDC or anywhere else. Intercept them, arrest them. Those who try to block the city, seize or disable the trucks. No mob rule do i have to play the montage we lived by mob rule for an entire summer in 2020 you guys called it social justice here are actual articles how truck convoy supporters like pierre polerve have weaponized freedom i didn't know you could weaponize freedom hmm that's interesting this lady the notion that these uh, are rational people that will change have asked is long gone. 90% of Canadian truckers are vaccinated. The borders are open because of the vaccination requirements. Truckers have work. This disruption is an irritational gang. And again, we should stop being nice. Trust me, I will not run out of my way to make this hurt. Cancel their insurance. Suspend, suspend their driver's license. Prohibit any future regulatory certification for truckers, etc. Have we learned nothing? These things fester when there are no consequences. This is our world. This is our world. You, you are not authorized to push back. Once again, it's not a left-right. It's not a black-white. It's not a gay-straight. It's not alien-human. This is all class. You are a loser piece of fucking shit. Stay in your home. Do what the fuck you're told. Simple as that. I mean, I could play sound bites of what they want. Smoking to a hunter, the protesters gathered in Canadian capital 
What's happening is far bigger than vaccine mandates. And you hear these people, they're black, they're Asian, they come from all, let me just read a few. Peter, 28, a long-haul trucker from Ontario, told me what a divide had opened up all across the country, pointing to the gleaming ritzy condominiums near Parliament. He said he used to deliver the concrete stairs in those buildings. Since the cross-border vaccine mandate kicked in mid-January, he's been out of work. He refused to get vaccinated, he said, because the whole thing has been so politicized and you couldn't be sure who to trust. I have myocarditis. You made the right choice, young man. He refused to give his last name, he said, because he didn't want the government coming after him. And he wanted to work again. I heard this over and over from the truckers, and it was not entirely crazy. The CTA, which has publicly criticized the Freedom Convoy, sent January 29th statement addresses to the truckers in Ottawa. Your behavior today will not only reflect upon you and your family, but the 300,000-plus fellow Canadians that, like you, take great pride in our industry. If you pointed out to people like Peter, and I did, that almost every doctor in the country has been vaccinated, it didn't matter. There was bodily autonomy and privacy and religious exemptions. And anyway, how could you know what the doctors were thinking? You couldn't trust the press or politicians, he said, recalling that in the fall of 2020, Kamala Harris was skeptic of the vaccine. Hmm. Black woman, Mackenzie, 24. She looks old as shit. Poor thing. Works as a bartender at a popular downtown restaurant. Oh, no, that's Odia Jean-Pierre. Let's find Odia Jean-Pierre. Sorry. They didn't put this together very well. I will just do this one. They sound like Ivan, 46, who immigrated with his wife, Tatiana, from Ukraine to build a new life in New Brunswick in eastern Canada. We came to Canada to be free, not slaves. We lived under communism, and in Canada, we're now fighting for our freedom. B.J. Dichter, spokesman for Freedom Convoys Vaccinated, and estimates that many, maybe most, of the truckers at the protest are too. I'm Jewish. I have family mass graves in Europe, and apparently I'm a white supremacist, he told me Wednesday. Wednesday. Ostensibly, the truckers are against a new rule mandating that they, when they re-enter Canada, they have to be vaccinated, but that's not really it. The mandate is a mute point. The Americans have a similar requirement, and anyway, the vast majority of Canadian truckers, according to Canadian Trucking Alliance, are. So it's about something else, or maybe things, a, a sense that things will never go back to normal, a sense that they are being ganged up on by the government, the media, and big tech. And then you see in the bump a lady who just posted to Facebook. This is just like Black Lives Matter. This is just like what happened to my 80-year-old something because I suck. It was her birthday uh, two days ago, but I don't know how old she is. She's in her 80s. Sainted mother getting suspended from Facebook for not toting the party line. She didn't curse. She didn't talk shit to people. She just didn't agree. And the police department, the OPP's role is to ensure public safety, enforce the law, and keep the peace. The PLT exists as the part of the OPP response to demonstrations of major events. PLT members use proactive relationship building and communication to facilitate safe and lawful environments for everyone wanting to exercise the right to freedom of speech 
and Peaceful Assembly, afforded by the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Publicly available information is used at times with PLT to identify event organizers for outreach. Proactive contact is one way to keep facilitate events that are safe and lawful. But of course, if it's a right-wing thing and you find one rebel flag or one swastika, I mean, to quote that lady, have we not learned anything? They found one guy with an AR. His hand was black, and they published the picture. They're all armed crazies. They found a couple racist. They're all racist. It's what they do. Don't listen to what you have to say. Demean you. <laughs> Cast you down. Because you don't have the right to complain. We are smarter than you. We know more than you. Go fuck yourself. I mean, this tweet, I'm going to keep up for most of the show. That's a Hollywood elite. She's a liberal. It says everything. You need to cancel student debt. But if you didn't plan for inflation, you're a fucking moron. That's on you, dude. That's how they think. Because it doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to actually make any sense. They just know they're better than you. They're better people. They're smarter. They're opinions matter yours don't and the trucker convoy will go down as another glaring example freedom of speech is not for you and the problem is they don't realize how much they're red pilling people i gotta work some days this week and It is amazing the slice of America I talk to every day. And I don't bring up the conversations because I'm at work, but they bring them up. It doesn't matter what class you come from now. People are seeing it. They understand what's going on. They understand governments don't want to give up authority. They like this power, and they want to keep a hold of it as long as they fucking possibly can. And they're going to ram down all sorts of shit just to keep you under control. They understand that they don't follow any of those rules. And they understand we have a serious ideological problem. One side can do whatever it wants. The other side needs to shut the fuck up. And January 6th, My God, this shit is just fucked up. In Florida, the GOP wants to create a special police force for election fraud, which is raising alarms among voting rights activists. Ed O'Keefe has more. Well, why should you make voting harder? Cecile Schoon runs Florida's nonpartisan League of Women Voters and is concerned a proposal to establish a new police unit to investigate elections fraud is designed to keep minorities from voting. Bringing law enforcement and having them be around looking for problems, there is a concern and there is a fear, and there's that chilling factor that they're going to target black people. Democrats in the state legislature are strongly opposed. 
I think we should be afraid of a political election police goon squad. The new proposals come just nine months after DeSantis signed another law with voting restrictions, like limiting the use of ballot drop boxes that's now being challenged in federal court. It was really an unneeded law. Leon County Election Supervisor Mark Early is set to testify this week. He's scrambling to keep up with all the changes. Early is worried all the changes will confuse voters and scare off employees and volunteers he needs to run elections. I think it's become too controversial and adversarial. So, Ed, as you point out, there are vanishingly few cases of actual election fraud and zero evidence of any kind of systematic fraud. And Ron DeSantis himself said that Florida had a gold standard election in 2020. So, what's behind this new effort in Florida and by all these Republicans in different states. Politics. It's about... Let me give you my view of what happened January the 6th. And we're all... We're here. We're here. We, we, we saw what happened. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election from one administration to the next. That's what it was. With us now, CNN congressional correspondent Lauren Fox. And Lauren, I noted this last night. Mitch McConnell doesn't say anything by accident. Like every syllable is carefully chosen. So he did this for a reason. He didn't have to do it as forcefully as he did. That specific legal language. And now I'm going to turn it over to John Avalon. I'm one of his pet peeves here. <laughs> because this has to do, maybe with something that's going on in Georgia right now, Madison Cawthorn, a congressman there. There is a lawsuit to get him off the ballot because the lawsuit says he engaged in the insurrection, with, which in North Carolina law would mean he disqualif he's disqualified from the ballot potentially. This has to do with the 14th Amendment. I'm going to read this. I'm sorry this mm -hmm. is such a long preamble, but it sets people <laughs> up here. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States, any state, who having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress, as an officer of the United States, or as a member of any state legislature, so on and so on, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. So, John. Yes. Now you're in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Go. All right, look. The, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is what a lot of folks have been warning could apply to the insurrectionists, or members of Congress, if any were found to have participated or given them aid or comfort. That's what's really being questioned here with Madison Cawthorn, based on what we know now. The North Carolina board said they will look at it. This is a long ball as it applies to Madison Cawthorn. I want to be very clear. Um, if we find out later that other members of Congress were working with the insurrectionists to try to stop the certification of the election, then that could apply directly to them. Who else could it apply to? Obviously potentially Donald Trump. This has been done before. This is the lesson of the Civil War generation to stop a future insurrection. Here's why it matters for Trump. Now, if he had been impeached, this would all be a moot point. But Republicans pulled their punches at a critical moment. He obviously was not convicted in the Senate. But what some members of Congress will tell you is that because the letters, the articles of impeachment specifically mention insurrection for Donald Trump, and because a majority of both houses voted for it, despite the fact they didn't convict, it could apply because that's the threshold for imposing the It means that the 2022 congressional elections in Alabama will take place under a map drawn by the state's Republican leaders. The GOP's assault on our elections and democracy is where we start this hour. A.B. Stoddard is here. She's an associate editor and columnist 
for Real Clear Politics. Also with us, MSNBC legal analyst and former assistant U.S. attorney Maya Wiley. NBC News correspondent Shaq Brewster joins us live from Milwaukee. And former U.S. attorney Joyce Vans is back with us once again. Joyce, I'll start with you. I'm putting up a graphic here for you and our viewers to see. It's a map uh, that the Supreme Court allowed to stand. Speaking to uh, speak to us a little bit, if you will, about the impact uh, of this ruling on Alabama voters, a state you know very well, and how this decision by the Supreme Court could affect redistricting efforts elsewhere. So let me make it clear that I'm not an expert on redrawing maps based on new census data, but I don't think that you have to be an expert to look at that map and see how oddly it's drawn. The two arms that reach off the body of the one remaining district that, it, that uh, gives black voters a chance to elect a representative of their choice, those two arms that fall off of it, they grab Birmingham in one claw and, and Montgomery in the other claw. And those are the two majority black cities in Birmingham, so you can, in, in Alabama. So you could see how easy it would be to have districts that better represented the population. About 25% of the state is black, but this district crams most of those black voters into one district instead of dividing them up into two, which is what the three-judge panel concluded needed to be done. Uh, worth noting, I, I really hate this characterization of, of judges as Democrats or Republicans. I don't think it fits. But two of the judges on this panel were appointed by then-President Trump. So this isn't some sort of a Democratic cabal or a Democratic plot. This is just a recognition that for too long Alabama has minimized, has suppressed. But first, Crime and punishment. As crime spikes across this country, Senate Republicans now want answers on one specific case. A Black Lives Matter activist who authorities say burned down a building during a protest, an act of arson that ended up killing a man. The senators want answers about why the arsonist received the sentence he received, much lower than standard. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas that says the Montes Lee case has to do with politics. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell joining Senators Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley tonight in their outrage at President Biden's Justice Department. They say the DOJ is handing out politically soft sentences, pointing to the case of BLM protester Montez Lee Jr. The 26-year-old Minnesota man broke into a Minneapolis pawn shop during a 2020 riot and set the business on fire. He was heard saying, we're going to burn this expletive down. Police later found the body of 30-year-old Oscar Stewart, a father of five, inside that scorched store. Lee pled guilty to one federal count of arson, but was never charged by the Trump Justice Department with Stewart's death. He could have received up to 20 years in prison, but the Biden Justice Department argued for leniency, writing Mr. Lee does not appear to pose a danger to the public, despite a rap sheet of burglary, theft, assault, and violating a no-contact order. The judge gave Lee just 10 years with... ...into the investigation into those two pipe bombs. Now, everyone's assumed those bombs are planted by a Trump supporter. The media have told us that. But who is this person? 13 months later, we have no idea. The FBI says it has no leads at all in the case. That's very strange. The FBI has video footage of the person who planted the pipe bombs. Footage of that person sitting on a park bench outside the DNC, talking on a phone, reaching into a backpack and planting the device in the spot while Kamala Harris's security people found it the next day. Now, you'd think in the age of facial recognition software, that video might produce a suspect. 
You'd think the fact that person was on a phone might be very helpful since people are identified all the time in crimes by their phones. But no, no leads whatsoever. Nor apparently does the FBI have DNA evidence, and that's very weird. That means the person who planted these bombs did not leave a single fingerprint, not a single skin cell, hair, or droplet of breath on either one of the pipe bombs. This person never coughed or sneezed or exhaled moisture onto his or her gloves or onto any of the surfaces he or she touched while sneaking around the surveillance fortress that is Capitol Hill on camera the night before January 6th. Weird. People who plant bombs are almost always caught because there's a lot of physical evidence. This physical evidence was in pristine condition. But this person hasn't been caught. This person, an amateur wearing Nike Air Max sneakers, has confounded the entire FBI crime lab and eluded the largest manhunt in American history. Now, you should know that the first pipe bomb was discovered just minutes before the first assault on the Capitol at 1 p.m. Capitol Hill police were notified of the bomb at 12.49 p.m. Protesters at the Capitol swarmed the first police line at 12.50. That's one minute later. The chief of Capitol Police at the time, Stephen Sund, later told the Washington Post he believed the pipe bombs were not designed to kill people. They were meant to draw law enforcement away from the Capitol. They were designed to be found, not to explode. In the words of Capitol Hill Poli Police Inspector General, quote, if those pipe bombs were intended to be a diversion, it worked. Okay, don't waste your time. I have no power over the Capitol Police. Does anybody not know that? Uh, the, uh, the Capitol Police have responded uh, to that gentleman's allegation, as, and uh, that stands as what it is. But I have no power over the police. Thank you all very much. Thank Won't you. see you for a bit, uh, but um, we'll be in touch. Now, most of this is stuff we kind of already put up with on a daily basis. There's your media redistricting. Oh, we're so fucked up. But I tie in how we're treating people who murdered people because they're on the right side. The pipe bomb. And you see Pelosi. And then we have known that the USPS was going through people's social media and investigating them, remember all that? Well, now we find that literally they're doing it in offices, which by now you've already heard the Nell story. And they just went in and took pictures. And then they questioned people. And then they denied it that they didn't do it. It's all a lie. But as you go down this road... Now we're finding out body cam footage shows one of the ladies that died, but she died of drug overdose. Yeah, she was hit in the fucking head. We don't, we don't care. And then that. They're x-raying the male. It's not for their safety. They're x-raying the male because they still treat them like they're criminals because they're from the wrong party.
And then this doesn't even surprise me. None of this does. And this is the latest realization that we knew Hillary Clinton made the shit up. We knew it. Well, here's some of the information coming out. Fuck it. I'm not going to read all this. It's too much goddamn shit. The reality is the Clinton campaign was floating this shit. And look at this tweet. This is from 2016. Jake Sullivan, new report exposing Trump's secret line of communication to Russia. Well, the Durham probe finds out. That was a lie. They linked something with hackers to make it look like he was talking to the Russians. This is before the election. This is when her little boy was going on the air talking about Russian collusion because they knew they were going to lose. So they had to come up with something. And now there's evidence from the DOJ, not Fox News, not right-wing talk radio. They fabricated it. I'm, there's people aghast over it. I'm not aghast. This makes total sense. All of it makes sense. All of this makes sense. Every time the left is in charge of the justice system, they wield it like power. So, of course, they're investigating Republicans. They're going to lose power. What's the best way not to lose power? Make those motherfuckers not be able to run for office. They're still trying to swing this under the 14th Amendment that somehow, some way, they're insurrectionists. Going all back to Civil War, because remember, the left loves the fucking Civil War. They live in the Civil War and Nazism more than white supremacists, which is creepy as fuck when you really break it down. And then this is one of my favorites, and I, I didn't do a slide for it. Liz Cheney snubs voters to mingle with reporters, instead calling her own constituents crazies. Crazies. Cheney's campaign, which has made an ongoing feud with former President Donald Trump and supporters, the hallmark of her tenure in the lower chamber, is funded in part by the same blue-dollar donors who bankrolled the Lincoln Project. The incumbent congressman is also holding East Coast fundraisers with similar prominent never-Trump crusaders like Mitt Romney. I'm not going to convince the crazies, and I reject the crazies, Cheney told Time Saturday while she gathered with reporters instead of grassroots supporters 230 miles away. I reject the notion that somehow we don't have to abide by the rule of law and the people right now who are in the leadership of our state party. I'm not trying to get their support because they've abandoned the Constitution. Those people. Those people. But it's, it's, it's what they do. It, it is all what they do. When they can't win, they smear. Quick take. Who do you think is going after Joe Rogan? It's a liberal group. Dark money goes to Democrats. 
course it goes Democrats. It's these people. Far left site obtains cinema's social security number and releases it because she won't vote the way they want. So, being that we think, okay, listen, we're we're better than this. Democrats are better, right? Yeah, yeah, no. Here, here's just four things. One, crack pipes. Two, it's okay for Dems to change their mask mandates. Three, stocks. And the military calls out Biden on Afghanistan. HHS just put out a statement clarifying um, around some reports uh, that crack pipes are not would be part of the safe smoking kits that are funded by mm-hmm. the administration. Um, but can you clarify for us, were they never a part of the kit or were they removed in response to this reporting and this pushback? The they were never a part of the kit. It was inaccurate reporting, and we wanted to put out information to make that clear. What is in the safe smoking kit? Uh, a safe smoking kit may contain alcohol swabs, lip balm, other materials to promote hygiene and reduce the transmission of diseases like HIV and hepatitis. I would note that what we're really talking about here is steps that we're taking as a federal government to address the opioid epidemic. This program, though, is focused on harm reduction strategies, including prioritizing the use of fentanyl test strips and clean syringes. And all of these harm reduction services uh, that will be supported by these programs are, are intended to save lives. Does the administration support any effort, then, to distribute drug paraphernalia? that we were hearing about. We, the statement makes clear uh, that we don't support federal funding, indirect or direct, for pipes. Okay, um, and then on the safe injection sites that the DOJ is evaluating, mm-hmm. um, was this a, an ask from the White House that they review that policy? Because I know that for years DOJ has opposed efforts to open safe injection sites. It's under litigation, so I can't speak to that. But what I can tell you and reiterate is that uh, the White House is committed, as, as I will, as I would reiterate for you, many Democrats and Republicans, including Senator Cruz, uh, to taking steps to address the opioid crisis. What would you say to critics who are concerned that um, the Biden administration is somehow encouraging illegal drug use? I think that it's important to step back and remember, just to put a little more of a fine point on it, that we're losing an American life every five minutes to overdose. We don't have time for political games. But these decisions that are being made at the local level, like you guys always talk about, are out of step with the science that is at the forefront of the CDC, of this White House. So why are we not hearing the same messaging, criticizing states that are you know, making these moves like we heard previously um, with, for instance, Ron DeSantis? Well, I would say there is a distinct difference between standing in the way, uh, which Ron DeSantis did, or Governor DeSantis, I'll I'll give him his full title. Tonight, the first glimmer of hope in what could be life after the pandemic. Three states across the Northeast, once the epicenter of the Omicron surge, have announced timelines to end strict COVID mask mandates. The governors of New Jersey, Delaware, and Connecticut all made the announcement to end their state's in-school mask mandates as cases continue their steep decline nationwide. According to Johns Hopkins, the number of new cases yesterday are down more than 95% from the high of nearly 
1.4 million on January 10th. More states are expected to follow suit, even as the White House today said that universal mask wearing in schools still remains our recommendation. New Jersey, once a COVID epicenter and home to some of the strictest mandates, announcing masks will no longer be required in schools starting one month from today. The governor leaving it up to school districts to make their own rules. Perhaps most importantly, this is a huge step back to normalcy for our kids. Yeah, I thought that was a, that was a good decision. Um, basically, because infection numbers are coming down, I think it's pretty reasonable to pull back on those mandates. Let's return now to the pandemic and the explosive situation in Virginia over mask requirements in public schools. Seven school districts suing the governor today over his order to make them optional. While some districts are celebrating the new direction, others stand firmly against it, saying it puts children's health and safety at risk at a critical time. Several districts refusing to comply with the order and requiring students to continue wearing masks. Seven of them now taking Yunkin to court, challenging an order they call unconstitutional. But seven county school boards have filed a lawsuit against Governor Yunkin, seeking to block the executive order. The lawsuit represents more than 350,000 students across Virginia, arguing that the state constitution gives local school boards the authority to enact policies that protect the health and well-being of students and staff. It also cites a state law requiring school systems to follow CDC health guidelines, which recommend... In a bitterly divided Congress, suffering from low public opinion, rare bipartisan support, to prohibit lawmakers from owning any individual stocks. While insider trading is already illegal, lawmakers have still profited from background briefings or legislation that can influence stocks. Now a call to make that much more difficult, with support from the left. No owning the stock, no trading the stock for the member, for the member's spouse. And the right. An important step forward to restore the faith and trust the American people in this institution. Lawmakers from both parties bought and sold stocks after receiving closed-door COVID briefings before the pandemic began to rage. A recent poll found 63% of voters believe lawmakers should be banned from stock trading. But Speaker Pelosi, whose husband is a wealthy financier, has until now opposed a stock ownership ban. Now, under pressure from her own party, she's open to the idea if the Supreme Court is also included. It has no reporting of stock transactions, and it makes important decisions every day. One potential compromise, lawmakers could have a blind trust or own mutual funds. That's what I advise members to do, because I think it prevents such suggestions that you are engaged in insider trading. With midterm campaigning heating up, both sides want to remove the potential of insider trading claims and counterclaims. We all remember those desperate scenes during the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, which has left Americans still stranded there. Now a highly critical report by the Army faults the Biden administration for not seeing what was coming. Here's Andrea Mitchell. The chaotic and deadly U.S. evacuation from Afghanistan stunned Americans and the world and cost the lives of 13 U.S. soldiers. Now a damning new report blames the Biden administration for being slow to evacuate U.S. citizens and Afghan allies, according to an Army investigation first obtained by the Washington Post. One national security official saying an evacuation would signal we have failed. According to the report, three days before Kabul fell, Rear Admiral Peter Vasely, the top commander in Afghanistan, sounding alarms to acting U.S. Ambassador Ross Wilson. But another military official telling investigators the embassy needed to position for withdrawal and the ambassador didn't get it. 
Congress has now ordered a broader investigation. When did the State Department uh, start to uh, increase the processing of those who are seeking to immigrate to the United States? Was there anyone in the White House who was holding up the processing by sending the signal saying, don't, don't uh, wrap this up or ramp it up? The report also citing testimony from an Army officer who went door-to-door -door at the U.S. Embassy on August 15th, the day Kabul fell, urging staff to get ready to leave, but says some were, quote, intoxicated and cowering in rooms. The military is saying very clearly that the State Department was very slow, unwilling to recognize the urgency of evacuating the embassy. The fundamental problem is that we decided to leave Afghanistan precipitously without a plan to get people out. And um, that's everybody's fault. Tonight, dozens of Americans are still stranded in Afghanistan, along with thousands of Afghan allies, including many women protesters at risk, but not permitted by the U.S. on the flights taking people out. Ambassador Wilson was not available for comment, but the State Department says cherry-picked comments don't reflect the months of work that was already underway or what U.S. diplomats... Whether we're talking about inflation or crime uh, or Afghanistan or the border, uh, it's uh, it's extraordinary. This is the, I believe this is the worst first year of a president in American history. The worst first year of a president in American history. Yeah, I believe it. Hugh, you believe it? Yeah, it's getting to the point where even 538, the Democratic leaning analyst, says the lowest approval rating is now tied down where President Trump was after one year. But President Trump had strong supporters at least after one year. The new poll out today shows that 56% of Americans, 56% cannot name one thing they approve of uh, Joe Biden doing in the first year. My gosh, he got a puppy. They should, he, should, he at least got a puppy. Give him that credit. It was a terrible year for Biden. CNN came out, I think, and said that that was a percentage of the people who disliked or disapproved. Nevertheless, if you look at the RCP polls, uh, President Biden's job approval, 40.6. Harold disapproved, 53.8. The economic approval, this is worse, 38.3 to 57. These are average of the recent polls. And then this one, the direction of the country, 27.6% right direction, wrong direction, 65.1%. Percent. Uh, those are numbers that we're in February. Got a long way to November. That they've got a. Bill Bennett sums it up so well. It is the worst. It's just the worst ever. But they keep going back to the well. Oh, we're gonna give out crack pipes. Thirty million fucking dollars. And it, and then of course it's that circular thing. If if you say it's wrong, you're a racist. Dan Bongino had a good line this week, and he's so true. It's, it's a circular thing. At first, like with CRT, and we're about to do a, a hit on some gender stuff that I heard from uh, Ben Shapiro, and I'm just going to play the court case part because it's just unfucking believable It shows how entrenched all this shit is. But initially, it's, oh, we don't do it. Well, we don't. We do it, but it's good for the kids. Oh, you're a fucking racist, or you're a homophobe. And that, that's their dance. But the, the, this is a CNN poll, all right? So you can take 10 points down on the approval because it's CNN. They weighted that shit so far fucking liberal. It's everybody from fucking goddamn Harvard and shit. It isn't normal, people. He's garbage. He has no answers. 
There's nothing he can do. So that's why they keep spinning stuff. And I, I'm going to do a comedy section. This is... CNN didn't learn anything. I want to end the hour with a final thought, and I'm going to go a little bit uh, rogue here, so bear with me, okay? Jeff Zucker's departure was shocking to the staff of CNN. But CNN was not built by just one man, not by only Ted Turner, and it was not led only by Jeff Zucker. CNN is so much bigger than any single individual. It is about teams and teams of people, thousands of individuals who make up CNN. This place is not perfect. It will never be perfect. We will always have flaws. We will always screw up. We will always have to run corrections. We will always have to keep working to make it better and better and better every single day. That is the goal. But the people who say we're lacking journalism, that we've become an all talk channel, that we've run off and we're all opinions all the time, that Jeff Zucker led us astray, those people aren't watching CNN. They're not watching CNN. They're watching complaints about CNN on other channels that don't know what they're talking about. That's the truth. Let's put the map up on screen of bureaus around the world. CNN has more bureaus around the world than almost any other news organization on the planet. That map covers the world. London and Moscow and Hong Kong and Beijing and Nairobi and all the rest. That's why one of the network's slogans is go there. On the day Jeff Zucker resigned, CNN aired more than 135 reporter hits, 135 reporters in the U.S. and around the world. I'm talking about dozens of live shots from international correspondents in just one day. On the day Jeff Zucker resigned, CNN published more than 215 stories on the website, nearly 90 original videos. That's a hell of a lot of news. It's a hell of a lot of journalism. Do some of the anchors say provocative things? Yes. Do some of those clips get played over and over again on other channels and mislead people about what CNN actually is? Yes. CNN is the reporters and the producers and the production assistants and the writers and the editors and the technical directors. CNN is the executives and it's the interns and everybody in between who keeps this place running 24-7. So when something horrible happens in the world or when something wonderful happens in the world, you know where to turn. That's what CNN is. We lost our leader this week, but we're not going anywhere. Now there's even talk of bringing trucker protests south of the Canadian border, just in time to screw up the Super Bowl. With a DHS Bolton warning, it could severely disrupt transportation, federal government operations, commercial facilities, and emergency services through gridlock and potential counter-protest. Look, truckers are in many ways the lifeblood of our economy. They deserve respect and appreciation, but not special exemption from public health laws. Now, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says that almost 90% of Canada's truckers are vaccinated, as a new law for cross-border travel requires. And that suggests that, once again, we are seeing a loud minority screw things up for the rest of us. But that's in some ways the story of our times. 
In the USA, around 75% of adults are now fully vaccinated, and the vast, vast majority of recent pandemic deaths are among the unvaccinated. It's the deadliest form of tribal virtue signaling imaginable, but it also has an impact on everyone else. Look, it's been over two years since the first cases of COVID reached the United States. We've seen more than 915,000 of our fellow Americans die. And yet the partisan outrage is often directed at public health policies that have strived to stop the spread, while the staggering loss of life is almost ignored by people who in other contexts proudly call themselves pro-life. Look, feelings of frustration are totally understandable. As the data changes, we can and should adjust our tactics. Mask mandates makes less sense in places where virus is subsiding and transmission risk is low, but few states currently hit that threshold. Newsflash though, right? Nobody likes wearing masks. It's something we do to protect other people, particularly the most vulnerable during a pandemic. And that's what's getting lost in translation here. Everyone likes to think they're fighting for freedom. But as common sense and common decency shows, my right to swing my fist ends at your nose. Trying to hold society hostage to your demands isn't consistent with the common good because liberty implies civic responsibility in a democracy. So don't call it a freedom convoy, as the organizers like to claim. Call it what it is, a right wing. Well, I, you know, I think this is a case of misinformation rather than disinformation. This yes, is something yes. where someone was ignorant. But there's no excuse for Whoopi Goldberg not to be better informed. I mean, in one way, there was a Washington Post editorial that said this shows the need for a kind of critical race theory discussion in schools, and I agree with that. But there's no reason for her not to be better informed about Jewish identity in this nation and historically. I yeah. really think, but it is misinformation. It's not like the Republican Party calling uh, the horror of January 6th legitimate political discourse. That's yeah. disinformation. But Brian was just too much of it. And by the way, CNN is one of the station, one of the, of all the television broadcast networks and cable channels, it pushed harder in 2020, from 2016 to 2020 against Trump. And it was part of the firewall that I think has saved democracy this far under Jeff Zucker. That is a... Very important piece of context for the conversations that have been having the last few days about Zucker's exit. I know a lot of people blame him for enabling Trump. Others praise him for holding the line and even taking Trump to court when needed. Uh, when, when This brand new research by Gallup says American trust in the mass media is at its lowest point since 2016 and near a record low overall. Jeff Zucker has announced his immediate resignation as the president of CNN. This comes amid an investigation into what Jeff Zucker called a consensual relationship. What happened and where CNN goes from here? You were caught masturbating on camera. You since then have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right? Um, you got it all right, sad to say. The biggest media story this weekend, it's the firing of Chris Cuomo from this network, CNN. Late Wednesday, a lawyer contacted CNN with a sexual misconduct complaint about Cuomo. Joining me now, the man who accused Don Lemon of sexual assault. His accuser claims Lemon started rubbing himself. But the even bigger point, I think, is about what the press is. Is it produced by reporters or by repeaters? Repeaters are the talk radio shouters. They're on TV and radio telling the same story every day. 
President Trump. President Trump. President Trump. 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 Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Telling the same story every day. Repeaters are Twitter trolls who anonymously amplify propaganda and try to wear the rest of us down with their repetition. January 6th. 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 Repetition. The January 6th insurrection. The insurrection. The insurrection. The insurrection. The insurrection. The insurrection. 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 Repetition. 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 So much of what they are repeating is from reporters, from the people paid to figure out what is true. Widely held conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was created in a Chinese laboratory. Dr. Fauci, thank you uh, for keeping it straight. Thank you for fighting the good fight. We know the science. We know that masks work. What we have now is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This is really now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Much of the dossier has been corroborated. What does Putin have on Trump? Has Trump been compromised? But it does look like that young man to me is taunting the Native American Vietnam vet and he's in his face. There is no evidence of any wrongdoing by either Hunter or Joe Biden. There's no evidence of wrongdoing by either Joe or Hunter Biden. What you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha. But this isn't about ideology. The biggest terror threat in this country comes from radicals on the far right, primarily white men. As a white woman, aware of my own privilege in this country, I am so angry, and I can't even begin. Now, too many see the protests as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets. A few moments later. We're here inside CNN Center. They just threw something on fire, Chris. Something's on fire! Nick, you all right? We're getting out of here, Chris. All right. We are not fake news. We are real news. And now the two faces of Hillary Clinton are coming out. The fact, through WikiLeaks, that she says one thing uh, and... Oh, no. All right, let's see if we can get Congressman Collins back. Obviously, we just lost the satellite feed. That sucks. Routinely at these rallies, we are hearing a chance of... Uh, Maggie, before you go, I, I want to give you a chance. There are some people out there who see this detail uh, released from your new book about Trump flushing papers down the toilet, and they think, you know, they, they have essentially accused you of holding, withholding this information, holding this information uh, for a book. Uh, not true. Please explain. Sure. And John, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Look, I mean, I understand there's a lot of confusion for folks about uh, how these processes work, why things go in, in a book or, or not uh, in the newspaper, uh, you know, right away. To be clear, I did not know this was happening while he was president. Um, I'm not known for, um, you know, sitting on scoops if, if, I, if I have information. Uh, number one. Number two, I found this out in the course of reporting for the book well after uh, Trump had left the White House. Uh, I do have a new book. That book is not out for eight months. And so I am trying to uh, get this information out uh, as, as fast as possible because I think it's relevant. Do I know that it is you know, particularly meaningful in terms of what pieces of paper ended up where? We do not. I don't want to suggest that you know, I know more than I do, than I do right? But I, I did think this was relevant. Um, and that's why. That's why now. And that's, why, that's how I acquired the information. I would not want someone thinking that I knew this in real time because uh, right. I didn't. But right, this is an example here of you following your reporting instincts and making public what you do know at a time that this could be a piece of relevant information, uh, not what some have suggested. Maggie Haberman, as always, grateful for your time and uh, the important reporting. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. CNN President Jeff Zucker is out, and now some insiders are speculating that this means CNN is going to fundamentally change what they do and how they do it. CNN is about to be acquired by Discovery. 
And now some who watch the media closely say this offers an opportunity for CNN's new bosses to stage a hard reset away from the left-leaning political commentary and opinion that's come to define the network's programming. A fresh start in an effort to reverse the network's tanking ratings. Take this from a Variety article, which asks, quote, Will Discovery change the recipe? There are signs that executives at the company see Zucker's departure as an opportunity for a reset at CNN. According to people familiar with their thinking, and while CNN staffers have in recent days openly expressed a wish that Discovery's CEO might hire Zucker back, these people familiar with executives' interests suggested those hopes represent magical thinking, not actionable strategy. Now, Discovery's leading shareholders compared CNN to Fox News and not favorably, saying he'd like to see CNN evolve back to the kind of journalism it started with. I've always said the biggest problem is not that CNN was doing left-leaning commentary, but that they didn't admit that they're doing left-leaning commentary. I don't think straight newscasts would do any better for them in the ratings, but are they really going to get rid of all those opinion hosts who they've cultivated in the mornings and evenings? Are they going to come clean about what they've been doing up to this point? I, I truly don't understand what CNN can do from here that would significantly change much. Do they think that conservatives are going to flock back to the network if they have many of the same faces who claim they're neutral and objective? Joining me now is Colby Hall, founding editor of Mediate.com, which I own. He just wrote a piece that is entitled Jeff Zucker's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Year. A tumultuous 2021 <clears throat> was key to his ouster. Colby, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. All right, I don't totally to understand... What does a CNN reset look like? It's a great question, and I'm not sure that anyone has a clear answer right now. And I got to say, I think the genie's a little out of the bottle in terms of what they can do. As you said, John Malone is going to be a future top shareholder for the new Discovery, Warner Media, CNN parent company. He said that he believes that uh, the news should be the star and not the anchors. And that makes sense, and that works well for CNN when there's big news stories like I don't know, like the pandemic or the Iraq war or impeachment hearings. However, when there's not those big stories, there's not big news and they need to fill air. And so what this question sort of gets to is what do we expect to see from news channels anymore? Is it purely analysis like we see elsewhere? Can a pure news um, uh, play work? You know, how do you strike a voicey show that is still true and honest to viewers? Right. But I guess I don't understand practically if they're really going to reset. You know, they've got all these opinion hosts right in the morning. They've got them in prime time. You know, they're doing very opinionated, left leaning programming, but not admitting that they're doing left leaning programming. Right. If you ask them, they'd say, no, 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 wait, I'm just a journalist. I just do straight news, et cetera. And so are, but the public doesn't believe that. Right. It's just people within CNN who believe that. And so I wonder sort of if they are going to reset, do they just clean out primetime, clean out the morning show, start anew? <clears throat> well, it's, I mean, here's what I would say. They need to bring in more talent, new talent that can attract um, some conservative and some more centrist viewers. You know, it's still a lucrative business. They're not going anywhere, but they're trending in the wrong way. And they need to draw new viewers. I think, I think you got to something when you said, I, I think there's a bit of a bubble there at CNN. They, it was a very happy place, even though the ratings were down. Uh, Jeff Zucker did a good job of creating an environment that was the opposite of toxic, which is incredibly rare. 
But as a result, I think the issue, the biggest issue at CNN that you sort of speak to is a tonal one. I think over the past few years, they've painted themselves into a corner of sanctimony. And, you know, after a while, you get tired of smugness. And there's a lot of, like, sort of nutritional, eat your broccoli, finger-wagging that I think turns a lot of people off, particularly because they're not as transparent with their angle and their view. And I think they painted themselves into an anti-Trump corner that they don't know how to get out. So what, what would I do? I don't know if I would clean house completely. I would work foremost on changing tone. And there's a few people, I think, who are the guiltiest of the smugness that should be on TV, I think, a lot less. I think that would be the first step. And, and very quickly, they're trying to hire Republicans now. They've announced recently they're hiring a bunch of sort of Republican analysts. But again, having the, the analysts on doesn't, in my view, solve their fundamental problem because it's the hosts who are driving the conversations. Right. I mean, uh, uh, so uh, Chris Wallace, elder statesman of cable news, he's part of the CNN family now. I'm not sure at 73 he wants to host a nightly show as you full, you know, full right. well, is a, is a lot of work. Uh, you know, there's other conservatives that have uh, come over that I think uh, could help that. But no, I think they're going to have the nine o'clock spot yeah. is open. A bold yeah. move would be bring someone over that's at least centrist and maybe a little bit right of center. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how that would go in terms of the flow, though, on the uh, on the network in prime time from well, one hour you to know, the next. A little conflict, uh, yeah. a little, yeah. conflict, you, a little you, drama is good for TV if it brings a lead. So yeah. maybe we could. So when they weren't bashing truckers, it was back to Trump and documents flushed down toilets. Do we cover the Hillary Clinton story? No, no, we didn't do that. Even Dan Abrams, for God's sake, you can't get much more liberal than Dan Abrams. He was like, okay, well, what the fuck, man? What the fuck? You just can't keep telling your whole fucking world you fucking suck. So the last thing I wanted to cover this week or today's show, I heard this on Ben Shapiro, and it was from Abigail Schreier, Child Custody Gender Gauntlet. And... As I was listening to it going to work, I was, once again, not shocked. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking these people. This is the world we live in right now. And to hear the intrinsical interlinking of how woke is everywhere. It's your judge. It's your lawyer. They believe things you don't believe, but what's worse, and I, I think the best analogy I, I can give is my daughter. Um, my daughter has ate with a big old spoon all of this woke. All of it. And the difference between the woke and us, and I, I don't mean conservative, I just mean non-woke, is when we look at somebody who doesn't agree with us, we just go, wow, that's kind of weird. Or, I can't believe you believe that. But we don't see them as evil. We don't see them as people that are beyond repair and they, they should just be cast away. My daughter believes that. 
as she has embraced the LGBTQ stuff. She now has one son that's a girl and one that says he's bi. And her verbiage over all the years has gotten to be in a different universe. Because if you chant over and over, words are violence, you begin to believe that. So a couple months back, she posted that I used to punch her in the face when she was a child. The last time she was smacked, she was eight. I slapped her face like this. But, you know, after that, I stopped hitting. Because that a father used to beat the shit out of the kids. And I, as a kid, saw it and went, uh, that's not a good look. Well, me disagreeing with her and saying, no, that's not true. Or why are guys in dresses on a fucking Thanksgiving parade? What, what are we doing? It's supposed to be about Santa. Those are violence. So in her mind, I did punch her in the face. So that's this world. They are so brainwashed. They are so indoctrinated. They can't see that people with a different opinion aren't evil. They're not they're not going to hurt you. They just disagree with you and you can still coexist. You could still be family. Cuz I mean it's just ideas. It goes back to the intro. Your ideas are evil. You're not supposed to have ideas. You're supposed to do what the fuck we tell you. And that this that's this whole cabal. So hearing just this court case and how it worked out over the concept of a kid just all of a sudden saying he's a girl, it's, it's a perfect analogy. Abigail Schreier, who does an unbelievable job reporting on the issues nobody else wants to touch because they are so scared of the left-wing social revolution. She has a, an amazingly disturbing piece over at her Substack about child custody cases. Here's what she writes. Again, every major institution in our society is now being weaponized against people who believe in traditional values and want to raise their kids with those traditional values or at least don't want their kids screwed up by left-wing sexual mores that breed depression, anxiety, and confusion. That's what left-wing sexual mores do. They're not making for a happier, healthier population. They just aren't. That is not what the mental illness rate suggests. It's not what the suicidality rate suggests. It, it is, I, I'm gonna need some evidence that our, our society is healthier and happier because it has engaged in the left-wing sexual revolution. Particularly when it's crammed down on children in defiance of what their parents believe. So here's Abigail Schreier reporting. This is a disturbing, disturbing story. Quote, before she decided to strip him of all custody over his son, Drew, before determining that he would have no say in whether Drew began medical gender transition, California Superior Court Judge Joni Hiramoto asked Ted Hudako this, if your son Drew were medically psychotic and believed himself to be the Queen of England, would you love him? Of course I would, the senior software engineer at Apple replied, according to the court transcript. I'd also try to get him help. I understand that qualifier, Judge Hiramoto replied, but if it were, if you were told by Drew's psychiatrist or psychologist that Drew was very fragile and that confronting him, or I'm sorry, confronting them with the idea they are not the Queen of England is very harmful to their mental health, could you go along and say, okay, Drew, you are the Queen of England and I love you. You are my child and I want you to do great and please continue to see your psychologist. Could you do that? 
Yes, Hudako said. That sounds like part of a process that might take some time, sure. What process, Judge Hiramoto said. What is the thing that might take some time? Accepting the idea that Drew occupies an identity that you believe is not true? The identity you just mentioned to me was the Queen of England, Ted began. I can tell him and I can affirm to him to reassuring, to reassuring him situationally, but objectively, he is not the Queen of England and that won't change. And even the therapist in that case would know that. The then 54-year-old father of two teenage minor sons, Drew is the elder, felt he was walking into a trap. For Ted, precision is not merely a requirement for his job, but almost a constitutional necessity. His recall of every fact, date, and filing of the complicated court proceedings involving him and his ex-wife is astoundingly accurate. The sort of feat you might expect from a brilliant lawyer, not a distraught father battling the legal system alone for his son. But at this point in the child custody hearings, Ted couldn't understand what the judge wanted from him. His soon-to-be ex-wife, Christine, then an executive at the investment firm BlackRock, had already agreed to shared custody of their younger son. No one, not even the judge, seemed to believe he was anything like an unfit father. Ted isn't a particularly devout Episcopalian. He describes his politics as libertarian. He's athletic, health-conscious, and takes a keen interest in his son's talents. He coached their baseball teams and researched conservatory programs for Drew, already an accomplished pianist. Just one year earlier, Ted had been one half of a Bay Area power couple with high-status careers and precocious kids. Now he was one half of a contentious divorce, presided over by a judge who was referring to Drew as they and, pressure, and pressing Ted to accept that his 16-year-old son was actually a girl. And do you think that being transgender is a sin? Judge Hiramoto asked, according to the transcript. No, of course I don't think it's a sin. So you don't think it's a sin. But you probably think that Drew, if they are truly transgender, you would prefer that Drew not be transgender because in our society, transgender people are the subject of a lot of discrimination. Would you agree with that? I agree that transgender people suffer some discrimination and prejudice. I agree with that, he said. I'm sort of going off parallel experiences that I've read about or heard in family court or in family law classes for judges where gay children come out to their parents, the judge said. And sometimes it is difficult for the parents because they believe the identity of being gay or lesbian in their religion is a sin. And then some people don't feel that it's a sin, but they say they take a different angle and they say, I just would prefer my child not to be gay or lesbian because they suffer so much discrimination in our society. So I'm sort of asking these parallel questions to see what is your, what I see in the papers is that you think that Drew is not truly transgender and that they are merely confused and he might be transgender, said Ted. He might be. Okay. So if Drew might be transgender, it's just to say they might. Ted realized his error and corrected himself. He had used the he pronoun because he remained deeply skeptical. The boy he had coached in Little League was actually a young woman. They might be, Ted said. Drew, they might be, might be, we don't know. While trying to keep an open mind about Drew's gender, Ted was adamant to the judge. He did not want Drew to begin medical transition. In the 312 days since he had last seen his boy, Ted had done a lot of research on medical transition and gender dysphoria. He begged the court to consider research that suggested puberty blockers could impair cognition and diminish bone density. He knew that Drew, if administered puberty blockers along with estrogen, would be at high risk of permanent infertility. He wasn't even sure his son had gender dysphoria. He wanted to see his son and he wanted this bullet train to slow down. It sounds to me that you would prefer that Drew, when all is said and done, is just going through a phase. Is that a fair assessment? Ted evaded the question. Did he prefer that his son avoid a medically risky regimen that would render him permanently infertile and make him a lifetime medical patient? Wouldn't anyone? In the three years I've spent writing about families with transgender identifying minors, the story of Ted Hudako stood out as a case study of how gender ideology Gender ideology has infiltrated family law, writes Abigail Schreier. It also frames the unintended consequences of medical professionals fudging science, rewriting medical definitions, and tolerating shoddy research to placate activists. At each stage, doctors may have thought, where was the harm? And so, as a consequence, judges now decide the fate of children and their families based on phony, medically unsubstantiated metaphysics. On June 24th, 2020, following her discussion with Ted about the Queen of England hypothetical, Judge Joni Hiramoto granted Christine sole legal custody of Drew on a temporary basis and approved the shared legal and physical custody arrangement of their younger son. 
She assured Ted the order was not yet permanent. Judge Hiramoto had decided to order the appointment of a minor's counsel to investigate how the boys were faring before making any permanent decisions. She already had the perfect person in mind. I actually know of one who was previously appointed by the court by a different judge on a case involving children that were allegedly transgender, she said. That minor's counsel was attorney Daniel Harkins. Ted didn't know it yet, but the appointment of Harkins would place the final nail in the coffin of his parental rights. Within just a few months, the court would definitively end Ted's parental relationship. He would have no right to see Drew, no right to talk to him, no right to demand that Drew attend therapy with him, and absolutely no right to stop a medical transition already planned by the Child and Adolescent Gender Center of UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital. And finally, the court also felt Ted had no right to know that Judge Hiramoto had a transgender child of her own whose gender transition she had publicly supported. No one disclosed this information to the parties. Okay, this is the crap that is happening across the country. It's fucking astounding. It's just fucking astounding. It's it's unfucking believable if you step back. But that we live this every day and this is our world. This is the world Obama wanted. This is the world all these people wanted. Indoctrinate your kids, pull them away from their parents, feed them with a bunch of bullshit so that they'll vote for them. That's why BLM has destroyed the nuclear family. They understand if mom and dad are around kids, they're not going to buy that it's okay to go steal shit. There's no God. All the crazy shit these people believe. So they strip them. And the only way to strip them away from their parents is to get them early. College is where they did it. But kindergarten, come on. That's prime time. You can make them hate their parents. Hate their morals. Hate their God. Hate their country. Hate their own skin. And if you think I'm just full of shit and this isn't as bad as you think it is. A lot of people talked about everything's going to be all white. I waited. And I watched episode one. This is fucking racism. I think what annoys me most about white people is when they pretend like they're the victim. <laughs> What's also annoying is when they, you know, when they kill us. What is fragile about whiteness when everything has been constructed around it? Every part of who I am has been distorted or criminalized. It's really just a bunch of white lies. We're <laughs> storming the Capitol! You're not patriots, you're ridiculous. One of the definitions of American whiteness is ignorance. White people, we are not your problem. You are. Should white people today feel any responsibility for slavery? <laughs> Hell yeah. White Jesus or black Jesus? Jesus was not white. Think of geography. Ain't no way Jesus walked around with blonde hair and blue eyes. White culture fears the end of the world. For us as native people, the end of the world already happened like multiple times. Symbols and monuments, these are mementos of racism. Bring that statue that. Put up a TCBY yogurt or something. Everybody can get behind. <laughs> the truth has to be told about history. 
We have to make sure that these stories are told from our perspective. There's always hope, you know what I'm saying? We don't give up. It's about obliterating systemic and institutionalized racism. place y'all it's a wild place i know harriet and frederick be up there just like what is they gonna do that's the fucking tip that doesn't even sum up the show it looks like oh that's just a sensationalist trailer to get people to watch no that's the whole fucking show the song the theme is racist the intro is racist the things they say, if you inverted it with a different skin color, woo, you're done. Twitter, Facebook, your job, it, it doesn't matter. You're fucked. You are 100% pure D, unadulterated, fucked. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You're screwed. You're just screwed. And that airs on TV. They have no problem with it. They knew what was going to happen. If you saw any of this on social media, people, I'm pulling my shit. Well, I didn't do that crap because I've seen a lot of crazy shit on TV. There's, there's a lot of evil crap. White people bad. America sucks. I mean, it's America. It's the First Amendment. Once again, I believe in the First Amendment. I believe people should be able to say those things. It's what our country was founded on. But that shit, no. That's not freedom of speech. That's hate. That is straight up hate. And if we wouldn't tolerate it for a bunch of crackers, why do we tolerate it for a bunch of black people? Oh, same team. I gotcha. It's all good. Same team. But that shit, that shit fucking shocked me. I, I was like, whoa. We, we watched the whole episode and we're just in shock that that was airing on TV, that everybody thought that was okay. That That's not okay. I know I keep saying it, but it's just not okay. I, I just don't, I don't understand those people. I mean, let's break it down. There is, let's say, 1% of the the right that are fucked up. They got some fucked up views. They fucking hate this country. I ate something so I can have another dip. More about my stomach in a second. Um, <clears throat> there are people that hate black people just because of their skin. Asian people, gay people, whatever. But 18% of the left think like this. 18%. That's a hell of a lot more people. They were the people tearing down cities and burning and killing and looting and getting off for it by the DOJ because I don't, you know, like the judge said in that one BLM case, I don't see him as a threat. The motherfucker burned a building down. That's not a threat. Which killed somebody. That's not a threat. Wow. Really? It, it, that's about as stupid as the uh, COVID can't get you at a Black Lives Matter protest. Because social justice is more 
of a threat. And, and, you know, I didn't do a lot of COVID because I just don't want to talk about COVID. I've been talking about COVID forever because I got COVID. But let's just break this down for a second. We talked about Sturgis for three fucking years. No proof. There was actually no documented show that there was any spread from that. We've done no studies off the summer of love. Now, granted, now the science is caught up and we realize you really can't get it outside. But the reality is they didn't do any of those studies because they were pitching the bullshit. CDC was pitching it. Scientists are pitching it. Social justice is more than threat than COVID. Unless we're talking about Republicans, then it's the greatest threat in the world because they're killing you with their COVID policies. But these people believe this stuff. This is who they are. And that's dangerous. Because in this case, and I know I'm using it as a cudgel, we're talking, you're taking a child away over a fad concept. You can't tell me this is normal. This is a fad. It's the last 10 years where all of a sudden three-year-olds who, by the way, if you're babysitting at 13, you're not old enough now. That that was a thing in the news because the lady actually got charged with it. But three-year-olds can choose their own gender. And if you don't give them what they want, you lose them. That's some crazy-ass shit. It's a fad. We broke it down on the show. 80% of the motherfuckers go back. They go back to their original sex. And we have all sorts of graphic evidence from Abigail Shire of all these young girls who are just doing it because they want attention. They want somebody to fucking pay them attention. And they see Susie become Sam. The teacher's a fucking LGBTQ fucking mafia member. And they fucking make a big deal out of it. So then I'm now... Uh, Jim, I'm no longer Jenny, standing there in girl clothes. We played a tape on the show. But the judge was part of it. The lawyers are part of it. The medical industry are part of it. It's a cult. This is a cult. And if you don't think it's not a cult, I don't know what to say for you. Showtime. Because they're scared of the cult, airs a documentary that's racist as fuck. Where they just rounded up a bunch of people that hate white people and let them just go, fucking have at it, boys. You're done. Nowhere else on the planet could you do that about any other race nor should you. I mean, I've said it my entire life. I am prejudice. It's against assholes. They're in all sorts of colors. Genders. Sexual orientation. Assholes are assholes. But to label a whole group Some of the best friends I've ever had in the Army were black. But as the years went on, excuse me, 
Sorry. Um, I remember a good friend of mine. It wasn't a time when the country was a little different. Where black guys would look at him like, why the fuck are you with that cracker? And we spent a lot of time together. But after Obama, things started to change. And I tried to do lunch a couple times. Just the way he looked at me. The two times we met for a cup of coffee. It was obvious. He didn't have white friends anymore. So the cult has won. They've won. They're winning over institutions. Do you think Trump, the FBI, DOJ, fucking Department of Education, Energy, all of this was about Trump? No. Because Trump was showing things we're not supposed to know. It's just like all this COVID shit with the kids that parents started seeing what parent what the, the teachers are ramming down their neck. And they're pissed that you got to see it. But it's been going on forever. And when they deny it, it's a fucking lie. This racial essentialism and transgender dogma was reported in 2018 and 19. Uh, when Shapiro did his whole segment on it, I literally was like, holy crap, I remember reading that. Where they talked about the, the, the girl that pretended she was a fucking boy during the gold rush in California. And it was mandatory that you train kids on that. That was now part of the curricula. You had to train that. That's fucked up. That's just fucked up. Do I think it's important for kids to learn about slavery? Jim Crow. Not not this Jim Crow you're talking about now. The, the one where lefties redistrict so bad that PBS and NPR fucking cover it. Or NPR and the New York Times cover it. And then Republicans redistricting and changing the rules so you can't do what you did on the 2020 election where everybody gets a ballot and they can vote four or five times. No, that's that's not Jim Crow. The real Jim Crow that Dixiecrat Democrats did. Yeah, they need to learn that. Do they need to learn about Malcolm X? Yeah. Especially the part where he comes back from Mecca and he's for peace. That'd be interesting. You, you don't see that. Martin Luther King, yes. Do they need to know other racist heroes and have that injected into the curriculum? Of course, those are part of the American experience. It's part of America. It just wasn't Washington, Franklin, and Roosevelt and all them motherfuckers. There was a lot of people contributing to what we fucking did. Women. And if they happen to be gay... I don't give a fuck. But the purpose of the class is not she was gay. The purpose was she did amazing things. And she just happened to be gay. So don't judge people just because of their sexual orientation. Boom, you just taught a class. 
but they know if they do that, they can't convert enough people to the woke. So you have to say, if you don't say der or zur or da or whatever the fuck your pronoun is, you have damaged them. Those words are violence. You just punched them in the face, as my daughter said. I mean, I always go back to that because it's just, I live it. I disagreed about her being gay. We never really had a conversation, but she was never gay until social media told her to be gay. And I disagreed about the George Floyd protests. And I stopped following her on Facebook because every day she was saying hateful things and I just didn't want to read it. But the algorithm at the time, unbeknownst to my daughter, didn't matter of an unclicked follow. It fed any liberal in my feed to my Facebook. I was getting a daily dose awoke and I was done with it. And then I just left it. I just couldn't do it anymore. They're suspending anybody with an opposing view. And that wasn't why I went to Facebook. So I just bailed. Said I'm done. And my life's been better ever since. All I ever really enjoyed doing was saying lunch with my lady. I mean, I didn't really use it. It turned into another political chat board. And I, I didn't need another one. But because of that... Because I wouldn't endorse her fictitious life, I was no longer a good person. And that little analogy of what's real in my life is what this whole world is about. This is the world now. You either embrace 100% what they believe, espouse, and feel, and cast away all yours. If you're religious, get rid of that shit. If you believe America's a great place, you got to get, that's got to go. If you don't believe that cops are going out every night chasing down black people and killing them, if you don't believe that there's a transgender genocide going on because 18 people got killed in one year, even though we don't know how they really got killed, and most of the time it was their spouses. Domestic violence. And their spouses were also gay. If you don't believe that there's Asian hate crime brought on the word China virus, when all graphic evidence actually shows it was black people beating up Chinese people, because they're pissed off or homeless or druggies. You must be cast down. If you don't believe in every one of their overreaching, unconstitutional power plays, it's like that CNN thing. Some kind of prefix on information. Because they don't have a real argument or any proof or facts or anything to justify their position. But what's scarier is they don't believe they even have to. That's where we're at. They don't believe they have to even remotely explain anything to you. 
Who the fuck are you? They're the smartest people in the room. So I used to have a soundbite of the day. I don't do that anymore. But I really like this segment by Dan Bondingo, and then we'll close this bitch out. That's something first. I want to talk about the Democrats, their love affair with lying, and the burden of carrying all those lies all the time. This was addressed this week in a spectacular piece. It's a must-read by Victor Davis Hanson called The Crushing Weight of Lies. Hanson's optimistic that the crushing burden on the Democrat Party to continue to lie to the American people is going to be exposed shortly, as he states in the opening paragraph of the piece. He says, one reason I remain optimistic about the impending end of wokeism and the failure of the cultural revolution is that the dangers they pose are unsustainable. And by that, I mean they require such dissimulation that the load of lies eventually will snap the spine of those asked to carry and disseminate them. So what are the things they're openly lying about? Well, first is obviously immigration. Did you see this tweet by our own Bill Malugin? He's actually down at the border, folks. Like He's there. He can see it with his own eyes. He tweeted this week that the city of McAllen, Texas, says the federal government's released over 7,000 COVID-positive migrants into their city since February, including over 1,500 new infected migrants in just the last week alone. Local state of disaster in McAllen has been declared. It's not Malugin lying. It's someone else. Look at this video, by the way. Your eyes lying to you? Are Bill Malugin's eyes lying to him? This is people piling out of buses into McAllen, Texas. You see it right there on your screen. This wasn't some AI that created this. So who do you believe? Your eyeballs or Jen Psaki and the Biden administration? Take a look at this. Does the president think his immigration plan is working? Well, the president continues to convey uh, to anyone, as you've said, uh, who wants to come to the United States, now is not the time to come. It is not the time to come and try to go through irregular migration. We're still at work on uh, an improving a process and improving a system that was very broken when we took office. Folks, we have no border, okay? Let's just be candid and stop the insanity, please. The southern border has been entirely evaporated by the Biden administration. You can waltz right in here. And Jen Psaki is trying to deflect from that question because she knows it's going to be electorally damaging in 2022. It's a lie, but she carries the lie all the time. And what's Joe Biden up to? Is he telling the truth? No, no, the truth and Joe Biden, they don't mix. They're like oil and water. Joe Biden's busy blaming other people, notably Republican governors, and that's not an accident, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott. Some governors aren't willing to do the right thing to beat this pandemic, then they should allow businesses and universities who want to do the right thing to be able to do it. I say to these governors, please help. But you aren't going to help, at least get out of the way of the people who are trying to do the right thing. The incredible irony of this failed president attacking the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, about his handling of coronavirus at their border in Texas while promoting open borders himself. Oh, I mean, if this doesn't get under your skin, nothing ever will. Also, how disturbing to attack the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who's had a relatively good track record in his handling of the coronavirus in his state, my home state of Florida. How do I know that? Because I believe in this thing called numbers. Here it is, Florida. Listen, every death is tragic, folks, no doubt. It's a serious crisis. But where does Florida rank when you measure deaths per capita per 100,000 people? 
They rank 25th. Who's at the top? New Jersey and New York City, and Massachusetts, by the way. New Jersey and New York City led by, yes, Democrats. But yeah, he focuses all of his ire on Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott. The burden of carrying these lies all the time. The good news is Ron DeSantis wasn't having any of it. Joe Biden suggests that if you don't do lockdown policies, then you should, quote, get out of the way. But let me tell you this. If you're coming after the rights of parents in Florida, I'm standing in your way. If you're trying to restrict people, impose mandates, if you're trying to ruin their jobs and their livelihoods and their small business, if you are trying to lock people down, I am standing in your way and I'm standing for the people of Florida. So why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. Thank you. The endless lies, the deception. It's, there's an opportunity cost to this. It's preventing us from focusing on what really matters here. Treatments, therapeutics, public education. They're not doing any of that. They're too busy lying. And the final lie. Imagine carrying the burden of this lie. The lie that the crime wave in liberal cities, oh, that was just the summer thing. Crime is historically rises during the summer. And as we emerge from this pandemic, summer spike may even be more pronounced than it usually would be. We see spikes in violent crime typically during summer months, often, unfortunately, uh, during holiday weekends. This is an obvious lie. They must think you're idiots. The numbers don't lie. People are seeing it. Some of these people have been victims. Look at this. Murder rates in liberal-run cities from 20 to 20 to now. 85% up, 96% up, up 30%, 52%, 82%. Portland, 327%. These are real people. These are real lives. These aren't statistics. Folks, 2020, 2022 can't come quickly enough. Your family matters. The country matters. And the truth matters. You know, one thing that I have noticed, the overriding theme of pretty much every conversation I've had with people is the truth does matter. And it doesn't matter what the media is spinning right now because you can tell by the CNN ratings. And it doesn't matter with what Jen Psaki says from the podium. People see it with their own eyes. They're seeing inflation. They're seeing things being worse than they ever have been. They see that COVID masks didn't matter and vaccines didn't matter. I'm living proof because you still get sick. And they've seen that there are two standards for everything now. There's the elite and then there's you. And hopefully this will continue because it's not about conservative. It's not about Trump. Anybody follows the show. I don't like Trump. It's about reality. It's about where we need to go as a country. This country doesn't function if there's two standards. It goes back to that analogy. Eventually the dog bites if you treat it like shit. So. 
This wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Share this with your family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com. Brought to you by Matt in Oregon, who paid the renewal. Thank you so much, my brother. Um, I went to try to fix it, but I got sick again. Now I'm sick again, and I'm just jacked up. Uh, it's I'm a soup bone. But when you go there, you'll see links to SoundCloud and Rumble, where you can find every episode. My intent is to do another show uh, Wednesday, if I can get it in. If not, it'll be next Sunday. Uh, I apologize. I didn't get. I just got sick again. Uh, you know, I, I I just didn't know I could get sick. I've never had an allergy to anything. So for the last four days, I've been chugging down these huge antibiotics, and it just wasn't sitting with me. It didn't matter what I did. I mean, last night when I took the fourth day dose, because I want to at least say, okay, I took four days. I tried. Um, I stood up for an hour because one of the suggestions was to do that. I drank two bottles of water. I had a full belly of food, even though I wasn't hungry. Uh, no. No, my stomach just can't do it. Just instant, in your, th- your food pipe fucking heartburn. Just hurt. Like, on fire nausea. And it would take hours for it to go away after every dose. Um, just don't understand. There's just something my body is rejecting. And, you know, it's a horse pill. It's like 800 milligrams a day. And, you know, in four days, I, I know I'm a little stuffy right now, but I'm, I'm in the basement and it's cold. But, you know, I, I did get healthier. I stopped coughing. But then I started GERD coughing because I had fucking stomach acid going everywhere it was it was just a goddamn mess but that's the one thing about covid they don't tell you about a lot of people talk about the taste the scent what i've noticed is the appetite you just don't have an appetite you don't crave food you don't want to eat anything i am officially two weeks after starting to get well no i guess tomorrow will be two weeks after getting sick and i still just don't want to eat I got nauseous because I'm hungry. Um, the Prilosec is healing my stomach. And so I grabbed some oatmeal and a couple pieces of toast, and that sat in my stomach this morning, which is an improvement. Um, but I, I just, I don't want to eat still. I, I still don't want to eat. And I, I just got to gotta go back to just having some simple food. So this afternoon I'll have a little vegetable beef soup, very simple. Get some new antibiotics, take another week of it. And I should be good to go. But this thing was, uh, it was rough. But I wanted to bring it back up because there was one thing that really, really worked. And we used it for my wife. So considering COVID's going to be here forever, there's going to be a COVID-20. We're just never going to get away from this COVID shit. A lot of people treat it with B and zinc. Well... Add to your kit bag, Sudafed. When I was young in the army, you know, you didn't, they didn't give antibiotics for everything, and some people say they shouldn't because we get resistant to it. But you got an ear infection or a sinus infection, they just gave you Sudafed, and you would take doses of Sudafed, two pills at a time, for three or four days, and you dry up. And it hit me because my wife wouldn't go to a doctor and she still had a cough and she still had boogers. 
So I went, and Sudafed's no longer on the counter because of the Breaking Bad motherfuckers. And people make meth out of the shit. So I had to go to the counter and get it. But on Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, I had the day off from work. We took a dog to the vet and grabbed those ingredients, and she started taking it. And by today, she doesn't have a cough. She's still weak, but she doesn't have the symptoms. So if you get COVID, Sudafed, a D vitamin, and zinc, those three things worked. It worked. She dried right up, and the symptoms receded, which is pretty freaking cool. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, try to get another one out Wednesday, if I could possibly do it, because I don't think we're going to go anywhere. We're, we wanted to go to try to do something, but the look of both of us, we're probably not going to be 100% by then. So Wednesday, we'll do our next show. I thank you all for listening. I hope this sounds better. I set it to stereo. Something happened. I warmed the room up. I think it was a combination with one of the settings changed, and it was cold in here, so the mic was just jacked, um, completely jacked up. So... I thank you all for listening. I got a new patch, which Matt in Oregon, one's heading your way. I got two patches made on eBay, and these are really, really cool patches, a little two-by-two. Works great for uh, my hat at work, and I wear it while I'm working in the back. So you all take care out there, and tune back in for the next show.